Welcome to the Jesus, Sex, and Politics podcast. I'm Micah. And I'm Nathan. And here we talk about all those things that culture doesn't want to talk about. That'll scare you. Well, we've got uh, somebody, we got some somebodies in the studio today, Nathan, that yes, are doing do. things that are very scary. Yes. Very scary. Big. Running for big office, political yes. office. And it's a, it's a big task and it scares a lot of people away, but not this family. That's awesome. Not this family. With, so. with, with incredible opportunity to make big changes in a lot of people's amen, lives. Amen. Amen. We got Eric Doden and his beautiful wife, Macy, running for governor of Indiana. Welcome to the show, guys. We appreciate you being on. Thanks, Micah. Thanks, Nathan. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, Eric, tell us a little bit about your uh, just your background and how you guys met, and then why in the world would you ever do what you're doing? <laughs> well, um, you know, I grew up in Indiana. My my parents uh, met and married from Moody Bible Institute, and then they oh, wow. finished their education at Bethel, okay. and they had me in Mishawaka. So my birthplace was Mishawaka, and then when I was about one, we moved to uh, Butler, Indiana, a town of 2,500 people where my grandpa was pastoring a church and my dad was co-pastoring uh, before he felt called into business. So uh, my my background was Butler, and then we moved when I was 15 to the metropolis of Auburn, town of 10,000 people. Nice. And then uh, from there, we um, I went to Hillsdale College. So that's kind of my that's background love it. in a nutshell. That's where I grew up was Hillsdale. So I, you know, we kind of have that connection there. I didn't go to Hillsdale. I went to Huntington. So more in your neck of the woods where yeah, you grew up, right. and then you went up to where I grew up. So we just kind of like cross paths, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, there yeah. we go. Yeah. So, so Macy, how how did you you know meet meet Eric and what you know? It was this kind of like God's calling to your ministry to marry him? Was it kind of like you know what what happened there? So all right, well we we crossed paths when we were both at Valparaiso. So it was 1995, my first year of law school, and I had come right out of undergraduate and where I played basketball. And so I hear, oh, there's pickup basketball games going on. I'm going to jump into that. Why should, why should the guys have all the fun? That's right. So that's the first place we met. And if you know Eric Doden at all, it doesn't matter if, you, if you've never met him, he will ask you 93 questions. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Which is a good quality, especially in the political world. So he asked you 93 yeah, questions. He is a, like, a legitimate listener and interested in people's stories. So that was our first meeting, and that was the beginning of really an acquaintance at that time. Um, and and honestly, I didn't I didn't know Jesus at that time. Wait, wait, wait. And to be clear, because uh, I wanted to talk more about that, but of the 93 questions, one of them was not, will you marry me? I was going to say, second, will you go out with me? Set of questions. <laughs> yeah, I like you. Do you like me? So, no. But you didn't know Jesus at the time. Now, Eric, did you grow up in the church? I, did, I grew up in the pastor's church. kid. Oh, so you were a pastor's kid. Yeah. Okay, okay, good, good. So how did how did how did faith? Let's let's hit that real quick. How did faith kind of become your guys's sort of foundation? Uh, especially, you know, amazing. You saying not you didn't know the Lord at the time. Yeah, I mean, God was really pursuing me at that time. My I, my parents are awesome people, Christians now. <laughs> Praise the Lord, yeah, God. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they raised me in a way that I start to wonder. You know, you see difference. You see darkness. And you're looking for light, and what is why even have this thought? This like, you know, being you know, this is different than that. Why be good, you know? So that that started the process of me exploring. I thought I knew based on you know, kind of the cultural Christianity that was around me that that what Christianity was about, but I didn't. And so when I started, and then I got into sources like Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis and reading Romans, oh, yeah. and and again, Eric asks a lot of questions. <laughs> So he makes you he makes you question what you believe, and I realized that I didn't ha I wasn't standing on anything. 
Wow. Mm. That's cool. So Eric, so, you know, being somebody who's grown up in the church, your dad being a pastor and, you, you know, you guys, the Lord leads you guys together here at Valpo. And, and what, I mean, what is, take us now into the next steps of your relationship. You start a family, you are your business owner, like, and then why the heck now politics? Like, to kind of, let's dive into that. Well, um, before we start the family, we in, in 94 to 97, when I was at Valpo, I met one of my key mentors and coaches in my life named John Costas. And John and I were passionate about three things, um, religion, politics, and business. And John's about 10 years my senior, roughly. And so uh, I'm 25, he's 35-ish. And um, I just really admired him. Uh, he invested a lot of time and effort in me. And uh, John was deeply engaged in local politics. And if you know anything about Hillsdale, Hillsdale really focuses on the national political scene. So you don't really think much about local. And I grew up in small towns that were experiencing a lot of distress. Like when I remember going to church one Sunday and they announced that they were moving the factory to Springfield, Ohio, and it just like really upset uh, a lot of people's lives. And so we were used to seeing decline in our communities and didn't know that you know, in fact, we were told like, hey, you need to go to college and then go to the big city to get a job, you know, mm -hmm. and that was kind of the way that it was explained to us. And so we didn't know that things could change. And then when we got married in 98, we moved to Fort Wayne. I'd asked Macy to, to move to Fort Wayne so I could be part of the family business for 10 years. And that was kind of the game plan. And my dad had started Ambassador Steel in 1974. Uh, and uh, so we were able to be part of the family business for a period of time. And um, and, but Macy being from Wisconsin, we go back through Valparaiso and we begin to see it be transformed. Uh, and that's when I realized the power of local leadership and how important it was to have, you know, really visionary, talented local leaders. And so that was just part of our journey of not just how we got married and started in business, but then how we became uh, passionate about local communities and, and making sure that we create conditions where people have a chance for success uh, at the local level. Oh, I love it. So then did you run for office in Valpo or like kind of, when did you start to say, okay, I, I, we can certainly change the community from a business perspective, but from a government, a governmental standpoint, because that's really what I think our listeners want to hear now is like, why, why you for governor, what do you know about local governance and what do you know about taking, you know, the distressed, you know, impoverished communities that seemingly everyone forgets about when they run for governor because they're always in Indianapolis or, you know, Evansville or Fort Wayne. They don't really go out into the local communities that are, that are downtrodden. And what, why, like where, what, where did you kind of get that? Okay. If I get involved in government, this is, this is what I got to do to help the Valparaisos or the smaller towns in Indiana. When did that come into play? Yeah, so it was about 2010. I began to feel a little restless in my career. Um, you know, we we had very successful businesses, um, but as also we had sold in the business, and so things were getting, you know, a little more corporate. And I'm an entrepreneur, and so I was just beginning to feel restless, like I needed to go do something entrepreneurial. Uh, and I remember one day we were sitting at um, the kitchen table together, and I was complaining about Fort Wayne and how we did not have enough going on in Fort Wayne and not a bold enough vision and and uh, Valparaiso was doing more at a town of 25,000 than we were doing at a quarter of a million. And Macy, who's uh, a, a woman of few words, but when she says them, they deeply matter. <laughs> uh, she said, um, you know, Eric, look, I really think that um, you either need to stop complaining or do something. 
I love it. Oh, Did you it, think this is what he was going to do when you said yeah. So you're the one who's responsible for this, huh? I guess so. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, I would also add at that time, we really were not tied necessarily to anything in Fort Wayne. And we decided, no, we're, we're Hoosiers by choice. And if you're going to, if that's our decision, we're going to invest in our community. Awesome. That's amazing. So then you jump into the mayoral race in Fort Wayne, right? So is that, is that your first, was that, you can walk me through the timeline here. Was that the first kind of foray into kind of government life was that was the mayoral race? Yeah. So what happened, you know, three days later after Macy made that comment, um, I was kind of not, I was dismissive of doing that. I didn't want to really run for political office. And, but when it couldn't get out of my head in three days, I did the only thing I knew to do. I called John. (laughs) and I said, okay, John, here's what happened. Here's what Macy said. What do you think? And John was kind enough to say, look, I've, I've waited 13 years for this phone call. Now here's what you go do. And he sent me on a listening tour. So if you understand my background, I'd been in business and I'd wake up on Tuesday morning and travel for three days. And then we had four kids in four years, 10 months. So we did not have a lot of discretionary time. So I did not have a lot of local relationships. And so this listening tour was really powerful. You know, I got to go visit with 150 people in 90 days, took um, about 150, 200 pages of notes, and then condensed those notes into a city plan that we ran for mayor on. Now, what I didn't realize at the time, and no one explained to me, is the ind- that politics is an industry. Yeah. And there's sort of industry rules and norms and things you got to understand. And, and so when you kind of go into it new, you don't understand name ID. Like, yeah. What is that? Yeah. You know, and, and the fact that if you don't have name ID, you need longer than four months to be able to create name <laughs> to ID. To build it. Uh, to build it. So, Sur- um, surprise. Yeah, yeah right. Surprise, yeah. surprise. <laughs> so, but sometimes what you don't know is to your benefit amen yeah you know, so totally you, you just go in and you work hard and you do the best job you can you think outside the box yeah because no one's ever told you it has to be this way so you're like well i'm gonna go do it however i yeah. believe is best yeah well and when you you, you guys can appreciate this I, I think as as people of faith and christians that when you're called to do something you don't really spend a lot of time like trying to second guess you know you just do what you're called to do and then let the results take care of themselves and let the Lord take care of those results. So, you know, we get, um, we, we do better than expected, but we did not win obviously the primary. Uh, but I just stayed engaged. And then I met a guy named Mike Pence who was running for governor. And I think, man, I just really like this guy. He's authentic. He's real. Uh, you know, he, he, he has a great personality. He's great with people. Uh, his character is, is phenomenal. And so I just started going to, uh, different events with him and when he ran the governor's race, uh, a few weeks later, he called me and asked me if I'd be the president of the Indiana Economic Development Corporation, which for those of you who don't know what that is, the simple way to understand it is you're the chief negotiator and salesperson for the state of Indiana. Mm. Uh, so you're negotiating a lot of deals with businesses and you're, you're, you're dealing with communities and you're trying to help them grow their economies and grow businesses and grow jobs. And we know that work gives us a lot of dignity. You know, we're designed yeah. to, to, for the dignity of work. Uh, and so we're um it was an exciting opportunity for a boy from butler indiana a town of 2500 people to be you know a salesman for the state he loves and has grown up in and and that was just how we really got involved in state and local politics uh, that's amazing that's awesome and now you guys um you you call auburn home correct is that do you no, we call fort wayne it's fort home. wayne yeah. so fort wayne is home now your dad uh started a business called ambassador steel so that's you were involved in that 
you, I want to talk real quick too, just your faith background, because I think a lot of people who are listening to the podcast are very much, you know, curious about who they elect. Are they people of faith? So you go to Blackhawk Christian. Is that Correct. is that your yep. up in Fort Wayne? We have some friends that that go there as well. And tell us a little bit about kind of okay, how do you as a leader in government when Mike Pence tapped you on the shoulder to do the economic development? How do you incorporate faith? And if you were God willing elected governor, how would you? incorporate your faith into that role? I think that's a very important question that a lot of Christian, uh, you know, Hoosiers and, and Americans will ask of their political leaders, how are you going to bring faith into this in a way that is done yeah, correctly? And I, I might add, um, just what do you think is the spiritual condition of, of our Hoosier people right now with what's going on in the world, the way we see things changing so rapidly um, we don't just have economic problems and we don't just have, uh, we don't even just have family problems. We have spiritual problems. Um, how do you see that? And, and where do you think the governor fits into actually addressing that, you know, in, uh, in a, in a day-to-day way that, you know, it's where the rubber meets the road for who's your families. You know, well, from, from my point of view, first of all, I mean, faith for me is, is integrated into my life. And, and, uh, and so I think that, you know, one of the things that I've tried to do and Macy can talk a little bit about this is just try to do the best I can to authentically live out, you know, what we've been called to do. And, um, I found in my experiences, um, people believe about 5% of what you tell them and 95% of what they tell you. And that's why I'm the guy that asked the hundred questions, because Mm. if I can get them to tell me, you know, like with Macy, what she believed or what she didn't even know she didn't believe or what she didn't even think about. Right. And I get her to talk about, you know, like, for example, I've asked, you know, some of my friends, um, they say, well, I don't believe in the Bible. I said, well, have you read it? I go, well, no, I, I haven't read it. I said, well, how do you know you don't believe something you haven't read? That's good. Uh, and, and they, then they look at me and they go, well, that's a good point. I said, well, you know what I really think is going on? Are you scared to read it? <laughs> You know, because I think a lot of times people are scared. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah. Now, once they start reading it, they 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 realize the power of yeah. it and and how it can change their perspective and change their life. But you know, if you look at the statistics, only thirty five percent of our people in Indiana go to church on a regular yeah. basis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I don't know about your church, but in mine, we have a lot of the same struggles in our church with people that are attending that you have in culture, mm-hmm. whether it's addiction, mental health, um, or those types of things, and so you know, there's no question that, you know, a lot of the behavioral issues come from our belief system, or in some cases, lack of belief system. But we also, I think, have an obligation to inspire people to, to better behavior and to really think about, you know, what, what they believe and why they believe it. Mm-hmm. But good. a lot of that comes from how you live. Yeah, that's good. What would you say, uh, and we'll go to Macy here, what, what would you say have, has been kind of the, um, the, the toughest part of holding true to your faith values while he's while your husband has jumped into political races, whether it's the mayoral race or now the, the gubernatorial race? Probably the one I would point to is that we desire to be like, to put others ahead of us. I mean, we, we're going to look out for our own interests, but also for the interest of others. And politics is really set up to be a, you know, you do this, I'll do that, a very much a self-interest ma- matching yeah. scenario, not just a straight up giving scenario where, where we try to live in that space of giving more. And um, relationally, though, I've seen that there's so many opportunities, people want genuine relationship, and that's been there. And so that's been a fun, I would, I would say, rewarding way to be living out our faith, 
to be just who we are and, you know, we're not telling them what to believe or who to be, but when we're who we are and we love them, care about them, that makes a difference. That's true. Yeah, that's good. So now a uh, couple things, and I, I want to get to this before we run out of time, but I want to give you a chance to kind of just kind of give us your, your three-step process, you know, why you think you're going to be the best person to lead the state over the next few years. Um, you know, what is it that's going to, that's going to make the Doden administration, you know, tick and, and, and set, you know, set, a, set us ablaze in a good way in Indiana. So I just want to kind of give you that, that platform so people can learn a little bit more about your, your issues that you're actually going to be championing. Yeah, I think what I'd like to do maybe is start with the three-step process yeah. of how we decided to run. Okay, perfect. Uh, and then we'll go into, I think, some of the you know important issues of what we think can be accomplished and, and why it's important. But, you know, first of all, you know, for me, I, I don't think you do, you run something w- without a couple things, um, especially in politics. You don't run for political office without your best friend and your, your, your wife and mate for life to be fully and 100% on board. So you know, we had a three-step process and I said, honey, I don't need to go to step two and step three until you, you know, tell me that this is something that you also feel called to do. Which would be step one. Which is step one. Yeah. Like that's step one. That is definitely where my, my faith came in because, um, you know, it's easier to stay safe and comfortable rather than put yourself out there. But, um, that's something, that's just me trying to control something and, and it's only an illusion of control at any event. But, um, I mean, I know without Jesus, you know, you ever have that dream where you go, you go, wait, go to school and you're, you're in your pajamas? <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. For like, me, it was go to school in my underwear, yeah, but yes, okay, whatever. pajamas works too. Yeah, fine, yeah. Fine. But like that, <laughs> that would have been me on repeat in my life <laughs> without Jesus. So like the, the peace I have and just that, that he's in control and we're, and if we honor him in this, it doesn't matter the outcome. I mean, we do that well. Like I was, I could say yes, because I've also saw how, I think God had been preparing him for this. That's good. That's awesome. So step two, once she uh, said, I'm all in and um, I'm not just here to be all in, but I'm here to be all in That's you cool. know, with you on the road. Yeah. Um, step two was a wisdom and multitude of counselors. And so I had about 10 mentors and coaches and I figured, you know, we need to have at least 70%. I don't know why I, you know, there's nothing magical about that number, but <laughs> so I went to well, so, seven is a, is a good number a good in number. scripture. It's so right. yeah, you know, like, so there you maybe go. that was it, you know, <laughs> Uh, I'm not going to take credit for that. Uh, so, you know, when I went to these 10, and these are 10 of, you know, people with very different diverse backgrounds and perspectives, I was surprised that all 10 said, we need you to run because you're going to have a bold vision. Uh, you're going to make everyone up their game, and we need a bold vision. Mm-hmm. And so uh, step three, we know that this is to win. You have to have resources to get your message out and right. name ID, right? So. You know, we said, well, look, if we don't have the resources, um, then I think that's a sign that this isn't the right thing for us to do. And so two professional firms said that we need to raise a million dollars in six months to be viable because I'm not coming from a position of power. I'm not a U.S. senator. I'm not a elected official. I'm not coming from, you know, the normal course of action here. So you're going to have to have, you know, the resources to, to get your message out. And so we, uh, I was with Rudy Yakum and, and Rudy's just a dear friend. He's now our congressman. Oh, yeah, Rudy's great. Everything. I love Rudy. Yeah, good So guy. we got to work. He he started working South Bend Elkhart. I started working Fort Wayne. And when we raised $3 million in eight weeks, I think it just gave us a clear sign. Uh, wait, wait, how much did you raise? $3 million. Um, <laughs> So So they said a million 
in six in, months. In six months, and you raised three million. Which, in, I, which I gotta be honest in, with you, I didn't think we'd do a million in six months. Yeah, like, yeah. I, I really thought that on January first, twenty twenty two, we were gonna get to go back to our lives because <laughs> I was like a million in six months. Yeah. But I, I don't know. I don't know that we can even explain what happened. Like we just started making phone calls, and we started saying, "Here's what we need you to do," and the answer was yes, 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 and. And so at that point, you know, I didn't want to be Jonah. And, you know, I, I just like, let's just run straight to Nineveh. Like, <laughs> I don't want to no, end up no in whales, the belly of a whale. No <laughs> so that was our three-step process. Uh, but here's what we're really passionate about. We, we think that the, the state of Indiana cannot be a state where just three or four or five counties are doing well, yeah. or three or four or five communities. Um, yeah. We're really proud of those communities that are doing well, like Valparaiso and Noblesville and Zionsville and, and Carmel and Fishers. But... We need to be a state where all 92 counties are thriving. Yeah, that's good. And, and all these communities are thriving. And and so um, our Indiana Main Street Initiative, which is about the, the 2 million people that live in towns, 30,000 or less, we spend a billion dollars a year on economic development in the state of Indiana. And we've never had a plan, economic plan for our small towns. So we're going to propose 100 million of that uh, be partnered with the private sector and tell the private sector, we will partner with you if you want to fix and restore your communities. And we're doing that in Van Wert, Ohio. We have a book on this. Um, and uh, Van Wert had 100 buildings in their downtown that, that the leaders thought were significant to them. 80 of them were falling down. They put $3.5 of their foundation in a fund, and we bought 52 of their 80 distressed buildings in 18 months. We're fixing 15. By July, we'll fix all 52, we believe, in under seven years. This is the same kind of system that we can bring to Indiana. And it's not pie in the sky. We're doing it. You know, we're doing it. And when you say we, who's we? Well, what happened was, you know, I was, you know, involved in restoring communities like the bigger cities, like Fort Wayne. So when I got back in 2015 from working with Mike Pence, they asked me to come and, and, and turn around Fort Wayne's chamber. It's called Greater Fort Wayne, Inc. And Fort Wayne had um, a, about a, a $30 million, um, give or take, vision and i knew that that after studying denver nashville austin and, and and places all over the united states about how they turned themselves around you know that that vision wasn't going to cut it so 10 months later i stood up with a group of 25 leaders and we announced a 650 million dollar vision that we do in 10 years now to give you context the most that four wayne had ever done in 10 years is 60 million wow so the, wow. the press thought i'd lost my ever-loving mind <laughs> And they pushed, put us on the front page of the paper because they're like, yeah, we're going to put you on the front page of the paper with that announcement. And, but what it forced us to do is be aligned with the vision and go chase the bus, and we sort of begin to catch the bus. And, and so Electric Works was part of that. Um, they didn't think we were crazy, by the way, three years later when we had closed over $300 million for the deals. Wow. And we have had now back-to-back -back years of over a billion dollars, and I think we had a $2 billion year in, um, in um, construction uh, permits you know so i mean we're talking uh, you know kind of a rocket ride yeah, right? and, yeah. and anyone that's come up there I, even myself like we're just amazed at, at what's happened over the last seven years in fort wayne well i begin to realize that the tools we're using there could be used in small towns we just had to have a large enough project 20 to 30 million dollars to do that and to have a large enough project you needed to have about 10 buildings and that began the process of of taking what we have been doing in the larger communities down to the 2 million people that live in small towns. So mm. that's Indiana main street regional cities that begins to help us restore these communities all over the state of Indiana and community pride and, you know, inspire people. But the other thing I think that we have to really focus on Micah uh, as government is making sure that we're protecting the vulnerable. 
And that's why I'm ardently pro-life. I think it's a human rights issue, not just a religious issue for me. We can also do things though, like zero cost adoption. And we're going to be the first day. Yeah, we're the absolutely. first candidate to propose this that's idea. Awesome. Uh, zero cost adoption. We have 13,000 kids in foster care. They'd love to be part of a loving home. But there's two expenses. One is the adoption, and then two is some of the aftercare that's needed that can really cause families to, to experience some financial difficulties. This fund will help pay for those and then allow these kids to get into loving families faster, creating a better opportunity for them in their life. And we're really excited. We have a white paper on this, by the way, because I know we don't have a lot of time to go into it, but you can read a two-page white paper and kind of understand the concept. But there's also early childhood education. Uh, we have 900,000 kids every year that four-year-olds that we know we need to do early childhood. And we think we have a uh, tax neutral way uh, with some money that's coming available to us in the next few years to be able to fund that. So we're, we're looking at uh, early childhood education. There's a lot of mental health issues. We're really being coached and, and, and talking with a lot of mental health experts right now about how to make sure that government's paying its proper role in supporting the private sector to help people. Because if you talk to bureaucracies, right, they're going to say, just give me more money and more people. Yeah, right. Yeah, well, yeah. We know that's not true. Yeah, that's right. It's a local issue that needs to be solved locally. Uh, but but we need to play our proper role. And then the last thing, the third thing you can expect from my administration is efficient, effective government. So there's two really important powers a governor has. One is convening power. So when I go to a community and call a meeting, guess what? People tend to show up. And then you can inspire and work with them to have a vision for their community. But they have to have that vision and they have to own that vision. But the other thing is these 30 agencies that really run the agencies that impact all of Hoosiers lives. And we get to hire the 30 executives that do that. And so how, who we hire, how gifted they are, how we hold them accountable uh, to make sure they're serving the people of Indiana will be very important for the future of the people of Indiana. That's a bold vision. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. I was, you know, just when you're talking about economic development out in the you know, in, in these other counties where there, there are businesses in those areas that I love how you talk about local pride in, in, you know, your community really pouring into it. It, it kind of, it made me think about when Nehemiah builds the wall in scripture and he simply asked people build the wall next to your house. All the wall will come together but just take ownership over that part near your home. I, I sometimes I drive uh, to our different campuses and I'm driving on roads and just the roads are destroyed. And I'm thinking, why in the world are our tax dollars not taking care of fixing these roads? Like the you're puddles. just saying that because you have this little yellow sports car that you don't want to get any no, dirt on. No, yes, it no, is. It it it's a selfish motive. No, it Come isn't. On. I'm serious now. Okay, you're <laughs> ruining my moment here. No, I, 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 uh, I was just thinking. There's an awesome. There's a business right there. There's a business right there. We're driving through a business park, and I'm thinking, at what point does the business go? Hey. I'll fix this because it makes my, you know one of the terrible roads right in front of one of our campuses, and I'm thinking I it looks terrible for for people to come in. Anything that you do where where people are taking ownership of their community, I think they want to take ownership yeah. of their community. And I thought, well, how do you incentivize that? How do you how do you lower their taxes if they take care of that area and you know whatever if if we're making growth in our own backyard everybody wants their own backyard to do well you know at least that's the in my mind that's the principle of home ownership versus renting you know is that people are going to take better care of of that which is adding value to their own life and so I kind of hear that 
in what you're saying to me that yeah. that that let's help these businesses own that area. Can you do all of that? And you said tax, tax neutral, so you're not going to raise taxes. Can you do that incentivizing and still keep the government limited and still keep taxes down? Do you got a plan for all of that? Because I think I love it. I mean, I, I think of a town like uh, Hartford City, right? One of the poorest, kind of most rundown kind of towns in Indiana. I think Blackford County is one of the poorest counties. And, uh, and I love downtown Hartford City. It's just beautiful, like old buildings, but they're run down, they're falling apart. And I think, okay, man, if what, what can we do? But I don't want the government to have to spend more money, have to raise taxes, and then do it themselves because the government does everything poorly. And so how can we do this in a way that, you know, it's great what you're saying, but can it really be done, I guess, is what I'm asking. Yeah, it can, and we're doing it. So let me, you know, maybe just explain the numbers. Yeah, in, uh, in Van Wert, it cost twenty six million dollars to fix fifteen buildings, and the, the 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 tough part about the Van Wert market, right, is it costs the same amount of money to fix a building in Van Wert as Fort Wayne, but the rents are about sixty six percent. So you got a problem, right? Um, it's not going to be it's not going to be as valuable. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. the value is based on cash flow. That's right. right yeah, so. So here's the way that capital stack, sorry for the term. If you don't know what capital stack means, it's like, how do you add up to 26 million? Where did the money come from? So 10.6 million came from the private sector and that was the first money in. The reason why it was 10.6 million is because when you looked at the cash flows of the buildings, when you're done, that's what the buildings are going to be worth. So I'm a free market economist. And what I know is free market economy will not spend 26 million to have it worth 10.6 million. And done. Like, that's called losing money. <laughs> so this is the challenge, right? If we so want, you're not a Democrat is what you're telling no, us right now. Okay, no, good. I'm good a free market, you know, <laughs> Hillsdale economist. But, but I also know that, you know, these historic buildings, right, are very expensive to fix and nobody really wants to lose their history. Yeah. So four and a half million came from state of Ohio. They had four or five different tax credits. It was kind of painful. It took 18 months to... You know, they had historic and new market and, you know, different tax credits. It was a very painful process. Uh, we're going to make it much easier, much. Uh, we're going to tell you in 48 hours because we're going to have it budgeted. Um, and, and again, with no new taxpayers needed because tax dollars needed because the billion dollars that we utilize in economic development, a lot of that goes to corporations and companies. We just want to shift some of that money to communities. Mm, okay. Which makes everybody's life better, right? So, um, and then 10 million roughly 10 to 11 million came from two uh, federal tax credits, the historic tax credits and new markets, which are really designed for um, under-resourced communities. Okay. So that's, that's where, that's how. So you, there's a plan. There's a plan. Yeah, yeah, that's good. And everyone can utilize these. Um, and by the way, when we say tax credits, to be clear, it's not really tax dollars. It's actually, more, it really works more like um, you, you pay, like what we do when we give money to a charity you get a tax deduction. So these are really more like tax deductions. If you put this money into this deal, you're going to get a tax deduction, right? So um, I'm really excited about what it means for our communities to be able to utilize these tools and then, you know, have community repride, re restore their communities. And to your point, I mean, what I did is I drove around Fort Wayne and just started looking at things I didn't like anymore. Yeah. Like, I mean, I don't like that building. Let's go fix that. I remember on Electric Works, you know, it was one point, 
six million square feet or whatever is 38 buildings and it's just an eyesore that everyone wanted fixed and one time someone said well eric that that can't be fixed and that was like the best thing they ever said to me because now we have it fixed <laughs> you're like watch me well, watch me <laughs> so now you know here we are this year it opened up seven hundred thousand square foot of mixed use it's now the the national headquarters for do it best corporation everyone in the community loves it and we fixed it it's amazing because we didn't yeah. believe it couldn't be fixed yeah yeah i love it well and so much of uh, you know, and Nehemiah was a was a was a governor, right? And he had to go around. He had to inspect uh, the brokenness, and then take the leaders. You know, you kind of watch that. He took the leaders and he walked around it, and he said, "Hey, let's get a let's get a look at it. And should it be this way? And isn't this a disgrace upon our people? And what can we do?" And he began to pick up. You know, you sharing the vision. They got excited quickly, and and it doesn't take forever to change a city. It doesn't, you know, cities are not not really buildings; they're people, right? People, yeah. But but in the end, it doesn't take a long time to do it. Although, you know, one thing we talk about here at Life Church is that um, the Nehemiah principle is you have to keep coming back and and reminding people. It's like every twenty five days they begin to forget um, what it what, what the vision is, and I, I think that. That that's that that is such a uh, a fresh feeling of we're going back into places that shouldn't be broken down because our people Hoosiers two two million of them out of out of how many are we up to now like like seven seven million seven million six point seven you know so so you know let's go back into those places let's make all the ships to rise like we can get the tide to lift all the boats you know that's um that that is visionary leadership so Nehemiah was also giving a sword to the people to fight off the battles when they would come. And so I guess oh, the next great the segue, next, the next question I have for you guys, <laughs> very biblical. Are you, are you ready to fight and to lead the fight? Because th- this is the, one of the issues I've been very outspoken against our current governor right now is, is I don't, I don't think he inspires anybody to fight for family values. I, I he abandons the fight in the schools. You have woke ideologues, who are warping the minds of the next generation. I was literally just on uh, PBS this morning and Indiana lawmakers. And it was me versus the entire panel. And uh, they were all pushing for this leftist uh, gender affirming care, which would tell a, a third grader that they can change whatever, you know, they can be whatever gender they want to be. And they could have medical procedures to go along with that. And we don't have leaders right now in the state that are willing to, to fight and lead. Like, let's just say like a governor, Ron DeSantis, he's, I look at him and say, that's a guy who's willing to go to battle for what he believes is right when it comes to family values. So, you know, you two are, are jumping into this, this fight. It's a spiritual war. It's, it's a physical war and a lot of, an ideological war. Are you willing to actually be the lead fighters that Hoosiers are calling for right now? Because I love the economics. I love that. But if you have a socially corrupt house, like if you have a if you have a moral corrupt moral bankruptcy, doesn't really matter what our economics do at that point. It's it's all for nothing. Yeah, so I, I think the, the the from my perspective, you know, what you have to do is be authentic to your value system, and that's why I'm clear about I'm ardently pro life. Now, there's a lot of people that would say, Eric, you need to soften that a little bit, right? You need to soften that tone because there's, you know, some Republicans that are pro choice, and I'm like, well, but that's not where I stand. And I'm going to articulate my view. Uh, this is where I stand. And if you're going to elect me, you might not agree with me on that issue. Yeah. But there's 17 other issues we can agree on. So do we want to focus on one that we disagree? 
or 17 that we agree on. And, and I think what, as a leader, what you have to do, because I'm going to tell you every day of my life for the last two years, I've been critiqued. Like, hey, you shouldn't be wearing those kind of shoes. Um, I said you look like you lost weight when you I, came I in know, here. So, know. you know, that's... That, that you know, wasn't really a critique. That was a compliment, <laughs> but it was backhanded. Uh, <laughs> it was like, last time I saw you, man, you look like you had gained a few pounds. So, uh. But, you know, the, the, the I remember I walked into a meeting one time in a sweater, and they're like, uh, dude, you, you can't be wearing that sweater. Like, what are you doing? And, and my glasses apparently are not the right kind of what? glasses. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. And, and then... Then there's the the critique on social issues, and I've had people in meetings with me say, "Hey, you know, we just need you to back off the social issues." And I said, "Well, we don't want we don't want there to be a fight over social issues." I said, well, then stop fighting. <laughs> and they go, "What? What do you mean?" I said, "Well, look, uh, my mom always taught me this. When we were in the back car, and, and my sister and I were fighting, and I was blaming her, she said, "Hey, it takes two to tango." That's good. So if you guys don't want to fight about social issues, then stop fighting. Yeah, you know, the the people have spoken through the general assembly you know, on the abortion issue. Yeah. That has been settled. Stop fighting over it. And, you know, one of them was at least good enough to look at me and go, man, you make a good point. That's good. So I, I like think that. what we have to do is be harmless, you know, um, as uh, wise as serpents, harmless as doves. We have to like be kind. We have to be, um, we have to be faithful um, to our position, but we have to be firm. Like, this is where we stand. Here's why we stand. You know, this is important to protect the vulnerable. And we're not going to, we're not going to back off on that. You would have the appointment over the Department of Education, the superintendent. Uh, what, what would be your agenda when it came to public school education in Indiana? And how can we fix that? Because I, I see that as probably one of the leading issues because Abraham Lincoln said the generation of a, the philosophy of a classroom in one generation is the philosophy of the government in the next. And right now, I mean, you look at what's coming out of Fishers, HSC, Carmel, Noblesville, these students are graduating and they are, they are Marxists. They have bought into a Marxist agenda that you, I, I, I was sitting down with a, a young man from Butler. He's a poli sci student, grew up in the Midwest. And he literally told me straight out of his mouth, he said, Micah, communism is the best form of government this world has ever, has ever had. And we just, we need to, I, I hope that every 20, time it's tried. Yeah. Right. And, and, and so I'm looking at this, I'm like, this is not radical like Berkeley. This is Butler university in central Indiana. And you have this young man who's a junior poli sci, you know, a uh, major. And this is what he's saying. We've got a huge problem on our hands and you would be the guy that would be really at the top, you know, the top echelon of leadership when it came to our school. So have you given that much thought? I know it's not necessarily one of your pinnacle, you know, platforms, but I, a lot of parents are asking right now, what are, what are we doing about public schools? Yeah. So, um, one, one thing that I remind people is that we have a constitutional obligation in our constitution to provide public education. It's in our constitution. So that that's going to be something that we do. Uh, but that's all why I like vouchers because I think parents need to have control over where their kids go to school and what's uh, helpful for their kids. We had one of our kids that um, really had some struggles with reading and, and needed some help. And we fortunately had the resources to be able to do that. And Macy was, you know, aware enough to know that needed to be done. But, um, you know, I had this debate with a couple of my liberal friends who said, look, we just, we just don't think there should be vouchers. And I said, well, you write a check to send your kids to the Catholic school. And I write a check to send my kids to Blackhawk Christian. Why should we be the only ones that decide where our kids go to school? And they didn't have really much to say about that. You know, so it's I, not I, very equitable. Not very, doesn't, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so I've really seen in our, in our experience where families have really benefited from vouchers and being able to choose where their kids go to school. 
Um, and then also I think what I hear from parents, and I think this is going to be an important part of the equation going forward, is they don't they want more transparency as to what's being taught. Yeah. And they don't feel like there's enough transparency right now, especially at that younger age level. There was just a video that came out today uh and this well if you're listening to this a few days ago um the there was an undercover video that caught uh multiple administrators school administrators in indiana this is a national video multiple uh administrators that were saying we know exactly that we are teaching crt and things like the 1619 project and things and uh this this transgenderism uh we, we know it we've relabeled it so that parents don't know because we realize that parents now are catching on and they literally are they, they caught them saying this and so to your point parents have a reason to suspect that they're being they're being lied to and we just want transparency just okay if you're going to teach this just tell me so i can get my kid out of that class or I can, I can come home, have him come home and D kind of, you know, uh, sort of, uh, D, uh, ideologically, uh, you know, transition them back to what I believe we should be teaching as parents. But, but yeah, I think parents are really at this place where they're like, we're being lied to by the public schools and our tax dollars are being used against us. Well, what I'm excited about is, um, we see this happening right now that more and more parents are running for school board. Yeah. Which means, and and this is a grassroots issue as well. I mean, there's a, a, there's home rule and elected school boards that make decisions about administration and the whole nine yards. So I think that the fact that the parents are now beginning to tune in, they're beginning to recognize their responsibility, they're beginning to get far more engaged either in school board or in the meetings. This is all good stuff for us long-term. Yeah, That's we've good. often said that COVID, that might be one of the the bright points of covid is that it got parents looking again at what was going on in the classroom they see the waste of time and they also see the ideology that they don't agree with and it it just seems like in you know i thought i thought you said you had four kids in four years and 10 months is that right is that yeah. is that physically possible that, that, macy that, that i mean that just seems like that's, that's not amazing. actually like what is I, happening i ignore the math just don't worry about it <laughs> But, you know, with, with our kids, I think, you know, as parents, my, my, my kids are 22 and, 20, 22 and 19. I, I, I don't have to worry about, I know I look young. You do. Um, yeah. But I don't, I don't have to worry about. Um, you don't look that young. <laughs> he looks Come pretty on. young. Yeah. Thank you. We've established this. Did I lose weight since last time? I put weight on since the last time you saw me. That's funny. Um but anyway, I, I really feel like we're fighting for the family at this point. And, and you know, fighting for the family economically is, is right. I think what you've said is right. But it's, are we going to allow the, the leftist total untruth that means to destroy the fabric of our civilization? I feel like we're fighting for Western civilization at this point. And, and coming down on um, the judeo Christian, like we're, I, I don't know if you've seen this, but tax on churches are, are like crazy high anti-Christianity sentiment. There's there, the, the attack on what made us great as a nation is, is, is just flagrant right now. And I think Hoosier families are probably very, very worried about what they're seeing because the change is happening so fast. 
it's like, there's no way that 10 years ago, we thought we'd be having this conversation. Five years ago, we, you know, Bill Maher's on and he's talking about <laughs> social issues. And he's like, nobody's ever going to think about this. And now it's every single thing he's talking even, about. Even Bill Maher's like, even oh Bill boy. Maher's like, holy cow, <laughs> you know, show him his own video back. And he's like, geez, <laughs> you know? So you really, you, you sit in the high seat, like you said, DeSantis, he's doing battle on those social issues is is there your commitment that you'd lead you'd be the tip of the spear on those social issues to say hey this matters and we're going to stand up for you know the the thing that made this nation great yeah we're we're going to stand up for truth beauty and goodness and and what i what i believe with all my heart is truth prevails it yeah. may take a year or two or three or four or five but truth always prevails and that's been my experience in life uh, I think that's been an experience as you read history, yeah. uh, that truth prevails. The only way they can stop it is by squashing truth from c- getting out. But even then, it finds a way. Yeah. It all, you know, look at history. It yeah, that's right. It yeah. finds a way yeah. to get out because yeah. it just, it, you, there's only so long that you can live in, 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 in you know, untruth. Yeah. Before, before it just destroys it, everything. It yeah. The up. pendulum swings yeah. back. It yeah. swings back. Yeah. yeah. But also, I, I firmly believe this that the first form of government is self government. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things we have to do as individuals is, am I self-governing well? You know, am I living my life well by my faith, by the values that, that I believe in, or am, am I hip, a hypocrite? Right? Yeah. But the second form of government is the family. Mm-hmm. Now, when you have the breakdown of the family, then you start looking at, well, what's the third form of government? Well, maybe that's, the you know, a church or agency or organization that, you know, like that, that you attend, um, like the girls and boys club or something like that. But the, the more you go up, the more imperfect that becomes. Yeah. Right. And so I think that anything we can do to empower the family, to protect the family, to make sure that the family um, is vibrant and um, doing well, I think is something that we, we have to really focus on, but also government, you know, really at the, especially at the state level is, you know, even further removed you know, from local and family. And so we, we have to play our proper role. Yeah, that's good. I'm going to add, I'm going to add this. I, I know Eric Doden to never back down from a confrontation or a conflict <laughs> that is needed or <laughs> you, to shy you, away from hard things. <laughs> Spoken with experience, right? Is that <laughs> you got it. <laughs> I love it. Well, Macy, uh, we got just got a couple minutes left here. I will give you kind of the last word to let the listeners know who are who are listening to this now. Why do you believe Eric Doden is the guy to take Indiana forward in this next season? And there's so many things I could touch on. <laughs> so, and you can't say his good looks. Come on, you can't <laughs> say that. That's not one yeah. of my wife's mistakes. This is Yikes. helping me remain Yikes. humble. He yeah. has a very nice well, voice, though, folks. Yeah. He has a very nice voice. <laughs> well, my mom says that on radio. <laughs> radio voice. Radio face, face for radio. Face for radio. Yes, yeah. Oh, yeah, I think I think his built in temperament to be an an executive, you want an executive in that role. And you want one who is all in for that role, not looking for the next one, or worrying about, hey, does everybody like me? Yeah. (laughs) Um, But to make the the good decisions, the hard decisions that are right for the 6.7 Hoosiers, not for uh, my next political move. That's good. Mm-hmm. That's, That's good. good. Yep. And I think, and he's got the energy. <laughs> I mean, he really, I mean, when, when he's got a job and he's got, he's got passion and a focus, I mean, just watch out. Uh, that's good. That's I love awesome. it. So Eric, where can people go to find out more about you and what do you want people to do? If they, they like what they heard, how can they get involved to support you? 
Yeah, so go for Doden for Indiana dot com. Um, we have all of our. How do you spell that, by the way? Doden. D O D E N, D O D E N. Uh, Dodenforindiana.com, we have all of our ideas in white papers. Um, because I'm an efficient guy, we have them in two pages. Uh, so it's not wow, going to take you more not than 17,000. Seven Thank not you. 17,000. <laughs> uh, and then we have places for you to either call or uh, write notes or interact. We, we put this stuff in writing so that we can get your feedback. This is not the end of the idea. This is the beginning. But also what people have been gracious enough to do is give us more ideas. So, um, and then also, you know, obviously if you like what we're saying and talking about, you know, forward that to your friends and, you know, get them engaged in the process. I think we're all better off when we have informed voters that really are aware of, you know, the issues and what's going on and, and, and what we need to do to, to make a better place for the 6.7 million people that live here. Uh, and then, you know, pray for us. Um, one of the, the most important things that, that we hear from people that mean so much to us is when they say at the end, like, we are praying for you guys. And, and, and it means so much to us when people do that. Um, but, you know, look, our goal and the way I'm wired is I told our team, we're, we're here to do 40 years worth, worth of work in eight. Hmm. And, you know, that's the mentality we bring uh, every day. Uh, I'm a, a, a very competitive guy. We don't want to just, you know, be one of the the top 25 or 30 states in the country, we want to be consistently mentioned in the top five. Mm. And so when you bring that mentality, I think it, it really cascades, you know, to, and, and by the way, one leader is not going to change the lives of 6.7 million people. But when you put together a team of three, two or 3,000 people across the state, which is why we've been on the road for three years, you know, or two years already will be a third. We have these relationships. When you put together a team of two to 3,000 people, it's amazing what we'll get done over the next 10 or yeah, 15 years. that's awesome. I love it. I love it. Well, can we pray for yeah, you? Yeah, let's please. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for calling us as your people to uh, see your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we want to do it here on earth. And we want to see order and um, and righteousness prevail in our land, here in our state, and across our nation. Thank you for leaders uh, just like these. And I ask, Father, that you would just pour out your anointing, go before them. Lord, you're the one who, um, Lord, puts it in our heart to even begin to step out and do something so so dangerous and large as running for, for governor. Lord, I just thank you for uh, Lord Eric and his wife, and I just pray that you would just give them a mighty blessing. Lord, would you add to them great people out there who want to see this vision become a reality? And uh, and Lord, you've already provided at the first step, Lord, and w- those that you call, you also equip. So I thank you that we come back to the calling that he feels. And uh, Lord, I pray that he would be faithful to the calling, Lord, and for you to do all the things you must do. Uh, Lord, redeem the, the brokenness. We're repairers of the world. And I, I pray that you would just continue to make that vision expand and help that vision to become a reality here in the Hoosier State. We pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Eric, Macy, thank you so much for being on the show today and blessings on everything that you're going to be doing here in the next uh, couple, well, year and a half. So, thank you, Mike. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. Yeah, Great to have so, you guys. So, Nathan, that wraps up uh, today's show. Anything you want to tell people? Well, they should probably go find us, recommend us, go wherever your podcast preferences get to. Tell your liberal aunt about this podcast. And a leftist you might like to make angry. Yes. Till next time, this has been Jesus, Sex, and Politics. Thanks for listening.